0: terrorist attacks, New York, Minnesota. How does that affect the presidential elections?
2: Rahani is in fact in police custody, was taken in Linden, New Jersey, after he was apparently shot uh, by police. We're told that he's on his way to the hospital.
0: The bomber in New York, connected to other attempted bombings, now known to be a radical Muslim. And the stabber in Minnesota, referring to Allah as he stabs others, ISIS claiming credit. How do we respond to this and what impact does it have on the presidential elections? Well, you're listening to the right show. We've got some insights. We've got some thoughts for you. This is Michael Brown. Welcome to the Line of Fire this Monday as we start off our week. Thankfully, the injuries were not more severe. Thankfully, we're not talking about all kinds of fatalities. Yes, serious injuries. Yes, the trauma of terrorist attacks, fully understood, not minimizing that. But I'm glad, I'm glad that things were not worse, that we're not mourning today the loss of more lives. But how, how do we respond to this? 866 7884 I'll tell you how I don't believe we should respond. I don't believe that we want to make this into a battle of words. There are real issues here. Radical Islam is real. We are dealing with people. We are dealing with lives. And Joey, grab clip number three. This is press secretary, White House press secretary, Josh Earnest, uh, talking about ISIS. And he is on uh, MSNBC's Morning Joe broadcast. Listen to how he phrases things.
3: We also can't give them the narrative victory of suggesting that every Muslim is responsible for this kind of terrorism. We can't can't give in to this narrative that ISIL wants to build up, that the United States is at war with Islam. That is false. That is not true. Uh, And we can't, uh, with some of this rhetoric, we can't allow uh, that kind of narrative victory to be given to them. We need
1: to push back against that.
0: Ah, so we can't give ISIS a narrative victory. We cannot give ISIS a narrative victory by saying that this is a war with Islam. Number one, it's it's only the most closed-minded Americans that think that this is a war with all Muslims. That think that every Muslim is a terrorist and every Muslim in our country is a danger. Yeah, There's some Americans who feel like that, but not not the overwhelming majority. And all of us who talk about radical Islam and war with radical Islam make a distinction between ISIS, Taliban, Al Qaeda, Hamas, Hezbollah, make a distinction between these groups and a fairly nominal Muslim who's lived next door for 40 years and is, is afraid that he's going to get attacked by Americans who think he's ISIS. We make a distinction there. Uh, to make this into a battle of narratives. Wow. I, I, I like what, what, um, what ben Shapiro said in the Daily Wire. Uh, he is talking about why terrorist attacks boost Trump and hurt Hillary. And I think his points are well taken. I, I felt the same way before reading his column. But he, he makes the point that, that narratives don't blow up people. Uh, that, that when the media reports things in a certain way, when the White House diminishes the nature of the attack, Uh, As as Ben Shapiro says, the people in New York weren't hit by flying pieces of narrative. And Americans would prefer a president who doesn't hide every time a major terrorist attack occurs on American soil. Why not just say, we're at war with radical Islam? Is it time then for profiling of radical Muslims in America? Is it high time that we do that? Or is that a violation of our constitutional principles? What do you think?
4: Give us a call.
1: It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
5: They started in a small area, now they're in 28 countries, and I listened to Obama say Well, we're winning the war we're not winning the war they're winning the war we're trying to be so politically correct in our country Mm -hmm. and this is only going to get worse this isn't going to get better
0: so donald trump is speaking on uh, fox news fox and friends about the terrorist attacks and rejecting the white house claim that we're winning the war with isis I i wonder right now do americans in general think that donald trump Would be a a stronger, more decisive leader than Hillary Clinton. That he would do a better job of fighting terror, that he would do a better job of combating radical Islam. That he's not trying to tiptoe through things and be so politically correct that hey, he he's not afraid to say radical Islam and confront things head on. Or what Americans think, you don't want someone like him. He's a hothead. He's too divisive. What he says incites further animosity towards America. You don't know when he's going to pull the trigger. We may not like Hillary Clinton that much, but at least she's experienced. She's been around. She's not going to do something rash. We need someone who's got more diplomatic experience like Hillary Clinton. Where do you land on this? 866 348 8, eight four. uh, the three reasons from the article I mentioned a moment ago on the daily wire by Ben Shapiro, three reasons why he says the terrorist attacks boost Trump and hurt Hillary. First, the media, he said that, that after news of the terrorist wave broke, the media immediately left on the most important issue. Donald Trump calling in a bombing half an hour after the bombings, obviously being sarcastic. Now, did you follow the CNN coverage? This, this was really distressing. Hillary Clinton is interviewed on her plane at night and she's asked about this. She immediately references the bombings in her first sentence. She references the bombings, plural. Then they quote Donald Trump, who referenced a bomb. And was it right for him to speak about a bomb? Isn't he jumping to conclusions? You don't know. I mean, it could have just been some other explosion for some other reason. And after after all. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio said, look, you know, these are intentional acts, but we have no way to connect it to terrorism right now. He was denying it as as things were getting more and more clear that these were absolutely terrorist related. And it ends up being Ahmad Khan Rahami, 28-year-old naturalized citizen from Afghanistan, a shootout with police who's now captured and tied in with the bomb here in New York and in New Jersey. Uh, So... Hillary Clinton says, yeah, then yeah questions whether bomb should have been said. It doesn't use the exact word, but you have to be careful before you say anything. Well, she had just she had just used the word bombings plural. And And CNN played this. It was actually Jake Tapper. was he unaware of what she said and just went with the clip they gave? In point of fact, they played Donald Trump's reference to bomb. Uh, and, and Hillary Clinton critiquing that, and left out that she had used the same word initially. So I mean the 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 weakness of the media here and the bias of the media here. You got to be kidding me! And 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 then second reason why terrorist attacks boost Trump, according to, to Ben Shapiro. Is, is that uh, the, the way the Democrats handle things. Again, Mayor de Blasio not wanting to say it was a terrorist attack. And Josh Earnest referring to it as a, as a narrative battle. And President Obama being slow to weigh in on things. And then as far as immigration, Trump's entire case has been that we cannot import people we can't identify. So could we have known more? Could we have known more about this man if we had stricter immigration policies, 866-348-7884. Let me take a look over at my Twitter feed to see. I asked this question, oh, let's see, asked this question three hours ago, so we got our first 230-something votes over Twitter. Do you agree with Trump that we need to start profiling radical Muslims in America? And I told people, feel free to explain, so post a subsequent tweet with with their explanation. Uh, what, do you, what do you think these folks said? Now, again, these are Twitter followers, so the great majority would be strong conservatives. The great majority would be Christian in faith. All right. Demographically, uh, much more male than female on Twitter. Facebook, I've got a little higher uh, percentage of female than male. Uh, Twitter, which is smaller, it's only 22,500, that we've got much, much higher percentage of, of men. Uh, our largest single group. Demographic group between 25 and 34 year old, by the way, same on Facebook, just for your information. Um, Do you agree with Trump that we need to start profiling radical Muslims in America? And obviously the question is, what do you mean by radical Muslims? How do you identify radical Muslims? Fine. We can ask all those questions. But based on that question, uh, 10% were not sure. 17% said no. 73% said yes. Is that, a, is that a violation of our constitutional principles, or is that just good security? Good security. I, uh, 866-348-7884. I'll go to the phone shortly. I had a, a, a call from an African-American policeman a few weeks back, and he explained the difference between wrong profiling and, and good policing. He said, for example... If you are in a certain neighborhood, right, maybe it's an all black neighborhood and a white guy comes driving in at two thirty in the morning, gets out of his car, runs up into an apartment, runs back out with a little package in his pocket, gets back in his car. What are you thinking? Drug deal could be a drug deal. So you are now profiling. You're saying, OK, there's a good kind of profile, good policing. It's unlikely to have this white guy in this neighborhood at this hour running in and out of this apartment building, which is known for drug dealing. And now he's got a, a little package in his hand. We're going to check this guy out. And if his story checks, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, I, I work at this, such a place and I have to get in early and open the door. And, and and my friend Charlie, he lives in apartment 3C. And here here's a key he gave me so I can get in. <laughs> Otherwise, I can't open up our building. OK, story checks out. However, if you then start to mistreat that person, if you then start to judge, well, I can't trust this person because of the color of his skin, now you're racially profiling. So, uh, look, if, if you fly to Israel, if you fly in El Al, they profile everybody. That's, that's why their security is so good. It's based on profiling, that they, they look for certain people. You know, I, It always boggles my mind. You know, we're, um, and I know our folks are working hard. I fly all the time. I appreciate our, our transit security, uh, the TSA. I appreciate folks trying to do their job and, and serious about it. I appreciate that. Absolutely do. And maybe they have certain reasons and protocols. But I always I always wonder. You know, here you got some 89-year-old woman in a wheelchair. She's in a wheelchair. She can't go through normal security. And they're checking her out extra carefully. It's like, that's probably not the person you need to check out carefully. But, again, they must have their protocols and reasons. But it, it just so happens if the color of my skin is is more Arab? My look more Arab? My accent, uh, maybe my garb, and I'm flying to Israel. I'm going to get questioned more than somebody else who's clearly a native-born Israeli and that fought in the in the IDF. And uh, and they're going to and what they do is they ask everybody questions and they ask you in such a way that it puts you on edge immediately. You feel as if you're guilty immediately. And immediately you're on the defensive and they're looking for, they just, they're, they're trained and they've got to put a sticker with their, that identifies them. If anything, I believe things can be traced back. If you find out what happened with this passenger, this or that, you, there's a high level of responsibility. And I remember years back now, by God's grace with, with radical weight loss and greater health, I don't need to use a breathing machine. I used to uh, have severe sleep apnea and would have to travel with a CPAP machine, breathing machine and use it at home. And uh, there are some flights, overseas flights, where I, I could use it if I was in business class or something. I just put blanket over my head and put this, you know, this thing on my nose and it would help me to breathe better and sleep better. And so I, I or, or wherever I was flying, even if I was going to use it, I didn't like to put it in check luggage because it was fragile. So I would carry it with me on the plane and uh, they wouldn't let me do it once going into uh, traveling from Israel home. They said, we just we don't feel good about it. I said, but here you plug it in. I said, yeah, we don't feel good about it. I said, it's fragile. They said, no, no, we're going to wrap it for you. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, they wrapped it with all this, you know, this special material to cover it. So I'd feel secure about it, but they would not let me take it on. I had to go and to check luggage. And that's, well, what am I going to do? It's that they know that every single day there are people that want to kill them and destroy them. But the question is, how can we do this w- without hurting other people? I mean, we know with the police that you may have a higher rate of crime, say, with black Americans and, than another part of the population, but then other black Americans get wrongly profiled, and, and their rights are now infringed on, and, and they're hurt. And So how do you do this without hurting all Muslims in America? These are questions to ask. But do we need to open our eyes more? Yes, of course. 866 We'll come back to your calls.
1: Of fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866 34 Truth. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: We are in a war, they have declared war on us. Yes, that is General Michael Flynn, interviewed on Fox and Friends, and he's talking obviously about radical Muslims. So, what about racial profiling? or profiling of radical Muslims, good thing, bad thing, and how does this affect the presidential elections? 866-34-TRUTH, about to go to your calls, but here's part of the challenge of profiling radical Muslims. Uh, Here's some New Jersey residents, they're talking about uh, Ahmad Rahami, uh, again naturalized U.S. citizen from Afghanistan, lived in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and the suspect in the Recent bombings, New York, New Jersey, clip number nine.
6: I come in here
5: about once every week or two, just to get something to eat. He's always in there, he's a very friendly guy. That's what's so scary. They never seem out of the ordinary, they're just Americanized. You would have never knew anything.
0: Hmm. One more clip, again, someone else talking about this man, clip number 10.
3: They just seem like regular people. like. I, I, was, I went with, to school with one of the kids that lives in there, mm-hmm. and like, I was friends with him. He's cool. Like, it's not like I didn't expect anything like, like this to be. Not, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's just not the whole family. It's just probably that one, that one guy that doing all of this.
0: Yes, so how do we protect our American way of life, liberty, freedom? How do we protect that? While also protecting American people, others living in our country, uh, how do you know who the radicals are? Is it that obvious? How do you find the right person to profile and, and not hurt the wrong person? And, and at what cost do we do this profile? And these are important questions to ask. 866-34-TRUTH. We start with Reverend Jackson in Vox New Jersey. Thank you for calling the line of fire.
7: Yes. A couple of quick things. I think Donald Trump will make an excellent, excellent president. And he has as much experience as anybody else. Obama's never been to the wall, neither has Hillary Clinton been in the wall. So everybody learns as they go along. But I trust him to do, do, do a good job. I believe he'll do a good job. And everybody's trying to kill him every time he's telling the radio how to go stop Donald Trump. Well, Hillary Clinton says, go open the balls and let everybody come here. That's wrong. Every time somebody fights somebody, put a bag on the shoulder, bring the United States. The United States can't house everybody in the world. You help them in their country. Send money to help them in their country. I go with that whole 100%. Help them in their country. But mm-hmm. you cannot house everybody in the United States. People born here can't get on welfare. Because you go in the welfare office, you got hundreds of people down there who never put a dime in this country getting welfare. and They talk about uh, the budget and all this stuff. How you are you going to do that when you're bringing people in the country sending jobs out? That's all I wanted to say. God bless
0: All right, thank you for weighing in, sir. I appreciate it. 866-348-7884. Let's go to Nancy in Queens, New York. Thanks for calling the line of fire.
4: Uh, Hello, Dr. Brown. How are you?
0: Doing well, thank Um, you.
4: (laughs) I was calling because, you know, I feel that um, we should learn to call a state of state, so to speak, and stop this, you know, trying to pretend like, you know, everything is uh, kumbaya, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And as far as Donald Trump is concerned, you know, he kind of reminds me of Harry Truman. And I wasn't around for Harry Truman. I was born right after he left office. But I was listening to the American Heroes channel the other day, and Harry Truman thre- physically threatened somebody that criticized his daughter.
0: <laughs> this
4: was the man that ended World War II.
0: Got it. All right. Hey, Nancy, I appreciate you weighing in. By the way, did, did, I, did I meet you last week in New York?
4: No, you didn't. Uh, okay. I didn't go out of the way. Yeah, That's all
0: right. No, no, that's fine. There was a, yeah. another Nancy from the area I met. Okay. God bless you. And thank you for weighing it. Yeah. I, Joe, did you ever hear of that Truman incident? I, I had never heard of that. That's interesting. Uh, but I, I could believe it. 866 348 7884. In Jersey City, no. You know, that's good because I didn't know how to pronounce that name either. All right, uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia, let's go to John. Thank you, sir, for calling the line of fire.
5: How you doing, D-Man?
0: I'm doing well, thank you.
5: Um, yeah, we all extremely blessed, no doubt. But, you know, this thing, the whole thing about uh, profiling, um, there's a simple answer to that, and we've been talking about it. If you see something, say something, mm-hmm. you know. Um, We can't turn a blind eye to something that we see going on that's, you know, questionable. And I think if we do that, then that's going to be the greatest thing that we can do. And I guess I do think Donald Trump would
7: be a better president than Hillary Clinton.
0: Got it. All right. Hey, John, thank you for weighing in. See something, say something. Again, the questions are, what if you think you see something you really don't? Well, then it comes to nothing. Well, what if it leads to the wrong person being investigated? Well, you could say, but if there's nothing there, no smoke, no fire, right? Anyway, these are questions we're going to have to ask and discuss. Uh, Let's go to Robert in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Thank you for calling the line of fire.
7: Yeah, uh, what exactly are the guidelines that the police use when they uh, take someone off the street? About a month ago, when it was 100 degrees, I, uh, stopped and, uh, rested for a little while in the shade of a tree, and then, uh, the, the police showed up, uh, and asked me questions like, uh, where are you going, well, who, who's president, uh, what's the date today, uh, who's the president running against, and one other trick question, and, um, because I answered that the wrong way, they said, look, we're going to have to call the Linden Paramedics, and, uh, have you taken to the hospital? And I said, No, 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 no. I don't want to go to the hospital. And, no, no, no. They, against my will, made escorted me to the ambulance and made me go to the hospital. So, so they thought that what? you were
0: you were you were faint, something something like that.
7: No, 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 no. Because uh, I I was um, uh, I was in full control of my faculties. And I even said, "Listen, it's a hundred degrees. At four four weeks ago it was a hundred degrees." And I said, "I'm I'm groggy from the heat. What, what what's the problem?"
0: No, but I'm saying and, they thought uh, they thought that you were impaired somehow because you couldn't answer these basic questions. Because of I which, could.
7: no, no, I I, uh, I could answer every one of them that they put in, All the trick questions still. So, and what I'm saying uh, is, Doctor, is that. Uh, they wanted to take me uh, off the street for something. I don't know what it was, but um,
0: but you weren't you weren't being racially should... you you weren't being racially profiled though, right? You you weren't in, in no. other words. And, and I've, I've got a break, so I'm I'm sorry, Robert. I, I can't get the rest of the discussion. It's not like, and I'm just basing this on your accent. I'm assuming that you're not, say, an Asian American. I'm assuming you're not. A Middle Eastern American. I'm assuming you're not a black American. If I'm wrong on any of that, I, I apologize. That you're a Caucasian American, and that the reason that they insist you go to the hospital is because they thought that you were impaired. That was the issue. I don't think that's profiling. Anyway, gotta run. Friends, make sure to check out our special resource offer extended from last week and our latest articles and videos. Right for you. Waiting for you at Ask Dr. Brown, ask Brown.org.
1: It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34Truth. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
3: We can't play into this narrative that somehow the United States or the West is against, is fighting against the Muslim religion.
0: So that again, White House Press Secretary Josh Earnest talking with Chris Cuomo on CNN Monday morning. We played a clip earlier from MSNBC's Morning Joe program. And again, talking about the narrative that we can't play into, contrast that with the words of General Michael Flynn. He's military advisor to Donald Trump speaking on Fox and Friends. Number five. This is not about Islamophobia. This is not about racism. This is about securing our nation in a time where we have a vastly different enemy that we are facing. And we have to be very serious about this and for anybody to kid themselves about what it
5: is that these guys believe and how they believe and what they're doing globally, globally. I mean this is this is in many, many countries right now, and we can beat them. But we have to we have to decide
0: that this is an enemy first. And, sure. and, and we're being accused of all sorts of name. You we know, all sorts of name calling. Yeah. Name the enemy, identify the enemy and combat the enemy. The enemy is not Islam in general. The enemy is not all Muslims. The enemy is radical Islam in its varied forms many of which are hostile to one another. Remember, everything produces after its own kind. When you have something that is radical and violent like this, it will turn radical and violent against itself. And when President Obama has refused to name it radical Islam and Hillary Clinton has refused to, I mean, they may at a certain point utter the words, but to say why they're not going to use the words, to me, it's self-defeating strategy. At the same time, we must make clear that there are many peace-loving, patriotic Americans here in America. They would tend to be more nominal, to be honest. And the more radically devoted would be the more likely to be dangerous. So what do we do? Do we monitor messages in mosques? Well, if, if there were churches, let's just say that there were Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Pentecostal churches, pick the group, whatever, and they had a stream in their midst that was calling for the violent overthrow of the government and the killing of all people of a certain ethnicity, something horrific like that. And in order to find out who they were, the government's going to monitor anyone that might fit that description, in which case they're going to monitor messages in some places that are perfectly fine. Would that be a problem? I wouldn't mind the government listening to every radio broadcast I gave. I wouldn't mind the government listening to every sermon I preached. I wouldn't mind the government reading every article I wrote because I have nothing to hide. And if they were dealing with things in a fair-handed way, they'd say, okay, he's one of the good guys. That's what I would hope they would say, right? Uh, on, the other hand, on the other hand, what if you've got overzealous gov- government? What if you've got government overreach? Doesn't that happen all the time? And then what right do they have to, to be listening to what we're doing in that respect as the government? I don't mean as an individual walking into a service. So these are the questions we have to face. Again, if you talk to a policeman, he could say, OK, in this neck of the woods, we, we have gang violence, and it's mainly Hispanic, and it's mainly men aged 16 to 21. And when there's just been uh, a, a, gang, a gang rape or a gang shootout or something like that, and we, we basically have an idea of the players, and we happen to see Hispanic man, 19, He's, he's, got, uh, uh, he's driving away uh, recklessly, and he's, uh, we notice he has got some blood on his face. We're going to pull that kid over. Okay, that's one thing. But then what happens when your law-abiding 18-year-old Hispanic gets pulled over once a month for no good reason? Those are the challenges that are always faced, and, and that's where ultimately you do your best to act righteously, But you have to decide, Okay, what's the more important priority, the enforcement of the law, the protecting of citizens, protecting of liberties. That's why these things need to be discussed. We'll be right back. Going straight to your calls. 866-348-7884.
1: It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution.
0: Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. We're talking about the terrorist attacks over the weekend here in the States. Thankful that the injuries were not more severe. Thankful that there weren't fatalities despite the very real trauma and the very real injuries and the very real upheaval and pain that this brings. How do we respond to this? And... How does this affect the presidential elections? This is Michael Brown, your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Number to call, 866-348-7884. Let's go back to the phone. Scott in Fairfax, Virginia, thanks for calling the line of fire.
7: Thank you, Michael. I uh, just want to let you know I've not heard your show before today. I was just driving down the road and flipping through the channels, and I heard your topic. And just in the last 25 minutes or so, I thought, I'm not exactly sure what Michael's conclusions will be, nor what the conclusions of the people who call in will be. But I just want to let you know I'm grateful for the manner by which you're conducting this conversation. Well, uh,
4: well, I just
7: think that we, we lack a spirit of nuance and of listening to one another. And I just want to let you know I appreciate how you're doing it.
0: Yeah, well, well, thank you, and, and welcome to the broadcast. If you go to the website, thelineoffire.org, you'll find archives of all of our past broadcasts, and if you just click on the digital library on any subject of interest, you'll find an abundance of materials, articles, videos, radio shows. But, Scott, I appreciate your nuanced call about the spirit of nuance because, look, there are things that we dogmatically hold to black and white, right and wrong, hills that we die on. But there's so many issues where we just get caught up in a partisan political spirit. We talk past each other. We don't talk constructively. And I don't even know that in the course of a broadcast, we're going to come to clear conclusions as much as have more to think about because these are complex issues. They they really are. And Mm -hmm. if it was a simple push-a-button solution, we would have pushed the button quite a while ago. And and what I found, Scott – is, is when we talk about issues, say, race, racially divisive issues, when we start airing them out, we learn from each other because we each live in different worlds and have different perspectives and fill in one another's blind spots. So that's the key thing. If we'll listen to each other with open hearts and minds and then think honestly and think critically and think prayerfully, we'll come to solid conclusions. Well, thank you. Keep up the good work. Yep. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. We go to Sandra in Manhattan. Thanks for calling.
4: Hey, how are you, brother? Doing well. Listen, it's like, you know, the radical. It's not just Muslims. It's American people that are radical. I was riding on the number two train going downtown. And this guy was radical, and he looked American. And he was going outrageous with the conductor and everybody on the train. And for him not to let his face be shown, he covered his mouth and he covered his eyes. You know?
0: Now, how do you you find radical uh, as opposed to just weirdo or crazy guy?
4: No, he was talking crazy. I'm not saying he was talking crazy, but you can tell he was like telling the conductor and he told me, I said, I can't speak. He told me not to speak. He said, did I give you orders to speak? All right. So.
0: All right. So. So we we agree, though. We agree that you got weirdos and crazies of all kinds. And by the way, of course, you have you have native born Americans who are radical extremists? They may be radical yes. white supremacists. They may be radical radical black supremacists. They may be radical whoever or whatever. And yeah, they're dangerous. And uh, you know, wh- whoever they are, we need to be on the lookout for them for sure. the The question is, you know, how do we how do we know what we're looking for? You know, when when the police we don't right right like
4: you said earlier on the radio that the Hispanics. The people
0: that speak Spanish, they look like they're Muslims.
4: too. Yeah. Uh, Did oh, you boy. understand that because of the the, the way the face is. Right, right skin
0: color. Right there. I I have friends of mine that when they go to Mexico, everyone thinks they're Mexican. When they go to, to the Middle East, everyone thinks they're Arab. When they have right. a certain they have a certain skin color. Yeah. So the question is, uh, and and the, the issue is that we need. To, to look for the right things. In other words, everybody understands. The question is not you just look for somebody dressed a certain way or you just look for someone with a certain accent. There has to be more than that. And I don't know if you remember this. Uh, you're in Manhattan. But in the aftermath of the 9-11 terrorist attacks, that, that there was a, a Sikh, an Indian Sikh, who was killed because people were outraged with Muslims and, and thought he was a Muslim. No, this is a different religion. Sikhs don't look like Muslims. They, they wear a turban. They, they have a full beard. Muslims will, will, will normally not have the, or commonly not have the mustache, very commonly, but, but they don't look the same. Sikhs don't cut their hair, and they're Indians. And if you see a, an Indian Muslim, you can tell the difference between an Indian Muslim and an Indian Sikh easily, but people thought, ah, oh, he's one of these bad guys, and kill them. So, yeah, we've got to be very careful that we don't inflame things. And thank you. Thank you for the call. Look, Nancy and I were talking about about Donald Trump today and she wanted to go on record. She wanted to go on record. So I said, honey, I'll I'll quote you on the air that when I have said, look, I've been a a strong critic of Donald Trump earlier in the campaign and said if he won the 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 Republican nomination, then we'd evaluate because I certainly couldn't vote for Hillary Clinton. But while we had other alternatives, I, I felt that there were other alternatives far better than Donald Trump. But I, I felt that he's listening to godly counsel and they're, they're having a positive, uh, different people are having a positive impact on his life, and he seems to be listening while I still have grave concerns about his character and what he would actually do if elected. And Nancy said to me, you're being too positive. You're being too positive. He's dangerous. He's, he's a narcissist, and, and he'll do what he needs to do to be elected, and just raising these concerns. Now she's not a she's not a fan of Hillary Clinton either, so I I understand that there are concerns that with with candidate Trump's rhetoric it incites all types of hatred against different people. Uh, it is not nuanced, because of which uh, innocent people can get caught in the crossfire, and and America can only provoke one's enemies. Obviously, I understand that side of things, but. To me, it's very important that people are rightly identified for who they are. And, in fact, I want to go back to the phones. I've got a, a clip from Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton. I just want to play these and contrast them for you. So you are now officially appraised of, appraised, appraised. You are officially informed of Nancy's viewpoint that she wanted you to hear. 866-34-TRUTH. We go, no, we don't go to Dennis. All right, tell you what, let's let's go right now to those clips. Uh, I want to contrast these, and this for we'll, we'll listen to Donald Trump first. again on with uh, Fox and Friends, and then we'll we'll listen to to Hillary Clinton. So this is this is uh, all today. We'll start with clip number seven. Donald Trump first.
5: These are sick, evil people that want to destroy this country and. The way we coddle them and and the way we're afraid to say anything and we're afraid to say what the problem is and who they are and they don't want to say radical Islam, they don't want to talk about radical Islamic terrorism, Obama won't even say the words, neither will Hillary Clinton. But those are just words. What what do you mean by getting tough? What do you mean by getting tough, though? We're going to have to hit them much harder over there and we're going to have to find out. You know, our police are amazing. Our local police, they know who a lot of these people are. They're afraid to do anything about it because they, they don't want to be accused of, uh, of uh, profiling and they don't want to be accused of all sorts of things you know in israel they profile they've done a, an unbelievable job as good as you can do sure uh, but israel has done an unbelievable job and they'll profile you- they profile they see somebody that's suspicious they will profile they will take that person and they'll check out do we have a choice look what's going on do we really have a choice we're trying to be so politically correct in our country mm-hmm. This is only going to get worse. And what I said is you have to stop them from coming into the country.
0: Yes. um, And a tweet from President Obama. Excuse me. A tweet from Donald Trump. Under the leadership of Obama and Clinton, Americans have experienced more attacks at home than victories abroad. Time to change the playbook. Uh, All right. I'm not going to have time to play the Hillary Clinton clip. I'll do that immediately when we come back. But. I agree that we need to be more careful with who comes in the country. In fact, uh, Senator Ted Cruz has called for axing the refugee program following the weekend attacks. Uh, In a statement, uh, he linked the attacks to the country admitting refugees, saying that Congress must stop allowing in anyone from countries that are hotbeds of terrorism. He said we can't overcome our enemies by pretending they don't exist and undermining our first line of defenders. At the same time, at the same time, there are obviously legitimate refugees, people in need, who are no more terrorists than you are or I am, and that are the perfect people in that sense that America should say, yeah, this is what our country's made of. Come and find refuge here. We'll be right back.
1: The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on the broadcast. Let's just listen to Hillary Clinton. Joey, go ahead and play that clip as she tells us not to be distracted by Donald Trump's rhetoric. We know that a lot of the rhetoric we've heard from Donald Trump has been seized on by terrorists, in particular, ISIS, uh, because they are looking to
2: make this into a war against Islam. Rather than a war against
4: jihadists, violent terrorists, people who number in the maybe tens of thousands, not the tens of millions, they want to use that to recruit more fighters to their cause by turning it into
0: a religious conflict. That's why I've been very clear. We're going after the bad guys and we're going to get them. But we're not going to go after an entire religion and give ISIS exactly what it's wanting in order for them to enhance their position. You know, ISIS is at war with Islam. I I totally disagree with that comment from Hillary Clinton. ISIS is at war with Islam, killing more Muslims than anybody. In other words, more Muslims than than any others that they that they kill. Okay, Uh, so let's let's just be realistic here and and understand that ISIS is not trying to get the West to have war with Islam in general. ISIS is at war with us, period. That's reality. They're not trying to provoke hatred from Muslims everywhere. They're, They're trying to take us down and take down Western values and take down the things that they hate about our culture. Some of, the, some of what's in our culture is not good either, by the way. That's, that's the issue. And, and attack those that stand with Israel, and attack Israel. Th- those are the issues at hand. And I don't hear Donald Trump saying it's a war with Muslims, but with radical Islam. Uh, yeah, he could be more nuanced at times, but I think what he's saying here, we, we understand the points. Not all Muslims, it's radical Muslims. How do you identify them? Those are the questions. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go over to Michelle in Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for calling the line of fire.
8: Hi, Dr. Michael. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. I had a interesting conversation probably about a half an hour ago. I just left work. I'm a small business owner and was ringing up a couple at the register, an older couple, probably you know, 65, 70 years old. They've seen a lot of life in the United States, and, and so they've known it in more, uh, you know, different days than what we're seeing here. And it just concerns me on how our conversation went in that they made it clear to me they have some Muslim friends, and uh, they said, you know, there's no such, uh, there's this Sharia law, there's no such thing as Sharia law, they're just, you know, this is all getting blown out of out of the water, and and I just, I questioned them on that, and and I, I found myself, you know, getting obviously upset because I felt like they're just these blinders are on. Yeah. And I'm so concerned about how Americans seem to not be able to discern and have good judgment about, yeah, I agree with you, the radical Muslims are who... We have to be careful. That's who we're trying to get. But the problem is, um, just like one of your ladies said earlier, we don't know who they are. But when they're practicing the Muslim faith, which talks about killing um, people who don't agree with them, and, you know, that's who ISIS wants to take down, obviously, is yeah. everybody who doesn't agree with them.
0: Yeah, so and, 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 my and,
8: question is, how yes, do we enlighten sorry. these people that, you know, how do we enlighten our neighbors and our friends that, you know, you've got to have more of a radar out, and you've got to be able to be yeah. foresee some of
0: this stuff going on. Yeah, it's it's information. And, Michelle, that's the problem, getting people to actually listen and process the information. That is the big challenge. Can we get people to sit down long enough to watch a video, to read an article, uh, and and to just say, okay, what what do Muslims believe? What's in the Quran? What's taught in the Quran? And the conclusion would be that the Muslim friends that most of these people have would be quite nominal, uh, just like a Christian that goes to church on Christmas and Easter and for a baptism or a communion service, and they think that's what it means to follow Jesus, and they haven't even read a page of the New Testament in their lives. That's how it is with nominal Muslims. So we have to say, okay, here's what these radical Muslims believe. Here's what Muhammad taught. Here's how they interpret it. Here's how they live. And then when you see someone that's part of a mosque that's a very serious mosque and may have a number of people from certain countries and the leaders have certain known viewpoints, then you watch that more carefully. It just would be common sense. Hey, thank you for calling in. It can be frustrating. I understand. We do our best to educate right on the air every day, five days a week. We go to Rafi in Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for calling the line of fire.
2: Hi, Dr. Vaughn. I listen to you all the time and I... I'm glad I'm on. But Thank anyway, you. I want, to, I want to touch this one uh, thing about how we know who they are. As long as the Muslims are getting us, it doesn't matter whether they're American, Muslim, or they just move from another country. I was born in Lebanon. I moved here uh, 13 years old. I'm 55 years old. I love this country. This is my country. I would never do anything to hurt this country. But... You don't have to be radicalized to hurt America. We've seen what happened to that guy in Florida, shooting. Yeah. He was an American. All of a sudden, he decides he wants to hurt America. For some reason, they don't like us. So as long as that's happening, they're all, for me, they're all suspects. It's like a murder case. Um, I feel much better when the mosque leaders, they come out more and condemned us, and they actually turn the people over to us when they see something going on in the mosque, then I say, okay, we're on the right track to make peace with Muslims. Now we know, now we can trust the mosque. Right now we don't. We don't know what's going on in mosque. You talked about the Quran. We don't know what they're teaching the Quran, or they're teaching how to hurt America. We have no idea.
0: R- Rafi, no, do you, th- no do you think that we should be—if we have a question about what's preached or taught in a mosque, do you think that we should monitor that, what the, what the sermons are saying? Do you think we have the right to do that?
2: No, they should They should basically come forward. They should basically be with us. They're not with us now. They're hiding something. If we want to do that, they're like, oh, what are you guys trying to do? They play this uh, racism card. They play this— uh, uh, we're picking you because you're Muslim. But we have no choice but to do that if they don't come forward and help us. This is their country, too. But they act like this is not their country.
0: Got it. They act hey,
2: like they can teach violence in the mosque. I'm sure they are. and But none of them comes out, condemns anything that's going on. They I understand. Right. Shows up, but they don't. They, they don't flood the, the
0: airwaves. They don't flush CNN or Fox. Yeah, and, and let, yeah, let me just jump in. Obviously, some folks do speak out, some Muslim leaders, but you can always use that as a litmus test. When these attacks happen in the local mosque, did that leader immediately get up and repudiate? And sorry to cut you off, Rafi, especially coming from Lebanon all that, you're exactly who I want to talk to, but we're out of time. So, we'll talk again another day. My bottom line today, let's be vigilant. Let us not attack indiscriminately. Let us not profile indiscriminately. But let us be vigilant. What's the role of Christian intellectualism and apologetics? We just had a a very lively hour, great calls, good insights. As we talked about terrorism in America, as we talked about the terrorist attacks over the weekend, thankful that the results were not more severe. We could be in a state of mourning beyond where we are right now, which is more shock and grief as to what happened. But in both cases, New York, New Jersey area and Minnesota, in both cases now, Islamic suspects involved. And the question, do we get to racial profiling? Donald Trump said we need to profile radical Muslims. Hillary Clinton says the rhetoric is a distraction. We talked about these issues in the first hour. We talked about which candidate would do better, would do better when it comes to issues of terrorism. But that's not our subject this hour. We're going to change subjects completely. I think you're going to be edified, blessed. You say, oh, But I wanted to hear that first hour. Well, there's no fear. Because within a few hours of the show, our team has turned the broadcast around, put it online, and it's available for you to listen to free. Not just today's show, but every show. And that's because of the help of you, our listeners, those that support us on a monthly basis financially and help us with one-time gifts. That's how we're able to do what we do, and even speak to you right now on these great radio broadcasts, these great radio stations. So go to dot the org, the And if you want to listen to today's show, just later today, a few hours from now, you just click on listen, and it'll be available. And if you're looking now, if you happen to the website, you'll see it's red. If you're listening live, all right, you'll see that it's, you see listen live in red. That means you click on that on your cell phone, on your tablet, on your computer, anywhere in the world. And you can listen to the stream, the live audio stream online. And wherever you are in the world, you can call in, as people do from around the world, call in to get on the show and talk with us. we come back, we're going to have a fascinating discussion about Christian intellectualism. Is that an oxymoron? Aren't we supposed to be simple people of faith? Isn't it the intellectualism that confuses the issues and in the confused world in which we live today, what is the role of apologetics, the defense of the faith, bringing a clear message of what we believe and why to a dying, confused, lost world, just like it's been dying, lost, confused through the millennia since our forefathers fell? 866 348 I'm going to be joined by Dr. Richard Land, who is the president of Southern Evangelical Seminary, and Eric Gustafson from Southern Evangelical Seminary, who will also talk to us about about the upcoming apologetics conference for anyone anywhere in the country, but especially uh, anyone in North Carolina or South Carolina, you'll want to come and be part of it. By the way, there was a brand new believer. He had been in mental institutions a good part of his life. And he was now out, and he was coming to a church I was part of on Long Island in the early 80s. And he was a sweet guy, had some real problems, though. But now he's just a total babe in the Lord, taking these first steps. And the president of the National, Evangelical, the National Association of Evangelicals came and spoke. I remember thinking it was a great message, but a lot of the vocabulary was a little too sophisticated for the average congregant and a little too theological. But he made ample reference to evangelicals. And this young man, this young man afterwards was telling a friend, he said, I love the message. It was a great message. We're thinking, boy, it was a little high level. I wonder if you really understood it. He said, I just uh, don't know what a lemon jello is. He said, what do you mean? He said, a lemon jello. We thought, wow. I mean, you're in a mental institution. I guess you don't hear well. You just made up a word, lemon jello. He said, yeah, I'm proud to be a lemon jello. And we go, oh, oh, no, no, no. That was evangelical. Evangelical, he <laughs> He mistook it for lemon jello, so we'll get that clarified today. Stay with us.
1: It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution.
0: Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us today on The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown, your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity, sitting in the studio with two very special guests, Dr. Richard Land of Southern Baptist fame, uh, graduate of Oxford University, and now the, the president of Southern Evangelical Seminary, leading Christian thinker, author, radio host, and Eric Gustafson. Uh, he of multi-hats, but today we'll focus on his hat as director of special events because of the upcoming Apologetics Conference, the the wonderful, large, edifying, exciting, informative annual Apologetics Conference that's just become a, an event, an event not to be missed. It, it's coming up just in a few weeks, so we'll talk about that. Uh, Dr. Len, Eric, welcome back to the Line of Fire.
6: Thank you. It's good Thank to you. be with you.
0: Great, great to have you guys. So uh, just before we, we talk about The role of Christians, Christian intellectuals in society, where we fit and apologetics and all of that. Let's just talk presidential politics for a minute. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Len, you've never been shy to give out your opinion. And you have recently said some very strong things in favor of Donald Trump.
6: Well, actually, I've said very strong things in disfavor of Hillary Clinton. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, I um, look, you know, just in the just to be as transparent as possible. Donald Trump was my 18th choice out of 17 people running in the Democrat, in the Republican primaries. He was my last choice. Uh, but in a general election with Hillary Clinton, um, to me, this is a classic case of, at the very least, the lesser evil versus the greater evil. And, um, you know, Donald Trump is a flawed person, one of the more flawed characters to actually be nominated for president. But compared to Hillary Clinton... He's uh, eligible for sainthood. Um, somebody asked me the other day, they said, well, Dr. Lynn, what, under what circumstances would you vote for Hillary Clinton? And I said, well, I might consider it if she were running against Lucifer or the Antichrist uh-huh. uh, or the false prophet. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't see any circumstance in which I would vote for Hillary Clinton. I think Donald Trump um, will do some things we like. He'll do a lot of things we don't like. Hillary Clinton will do nothing we like, and she'll, she'll be our sworn enemy. Right. She, she will she will be the sworn enemy of people of traditional faith.
0: What do you think of President Obama's comments that the only reason the election looks to be close is because America is so sexist and doesn't want to elect a woman?
6: Oh, it's just typical elitism on the part of Obama. Obama's elitist. Um, Hillary's an elitist. Uh, you heard it coming right out of her mouth when she said, you know... Half of Trump's voters are these this basket of deplorables, and then she she accuses anyone who disagrees with her basically of being a xenophobe or a bigot or a racist or a sexist. This is the old Democratic playbook, and Obama and Hillary are practitioners of it. Um, you know, the only reason you know they they used the same thing when he ran for president. If you didn't vote for him, you were a racist. Right. Well, actually, the only thing I liked about it was that he was an African American. Right. I mean. It was the only bonus. The only thing on the plus side was he was an African-American. I thought it said something very good about us as a country that we elected an African-American. Look, I've said many times if Mrs. Thatcher wanted to immigrate to the United States when when she was in her prime, uh, I would have been one of the people helping to change the Constitution so that Margaret Thatcher could have been president of the United States. I have no problem with a woman president. I just have a problem with this woman. Got it. Exactly.
0: Yeah, and the same thing with, with Americans that didn't endorse Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. The problem was not African-American. The problem was this African-American. Yeah. Just, just like there are people that don't like Donald Trump, it's not because he's a man or because he's white, because he's Donald Trump. So, yeah, and, and I, I have an article I just wrote today. will come out uh, later today or tomorrow. About recent comments by the president where he also said over the weekend to African-Americans, they need to vote for him. Or otherwise, it's a, pers- a vote for Hillary Clinton. Otherwise, it's a personal insult. So mm-hmm. once again, we divide over sex and race, whereas
6: that's not the issue here. Well, but that's the Alinsky playbook. Yeah. If you read, if you want to understand uh, Barack Obama and you want to understand Hillary Clinton, you understand, first of all, they're elitists. Um, and secondly, uh, they're running. Just read Rules for Radicals. It won't take you long. It's not a very long book. Um, but who, who's it, that dedicated to? By the it's way, it's dedicated to Lucifer. Um, let's see how's it go. Um, the first rebel who was at least rewarded with his own kingdom, Lucifer. Um, Alinsky says, "You divide and conquer. You divide your enemies. Um, any any means justifies the end." Hmm. I mean, you know, it's 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 an amoral book. But uh, Hillary Clinton became an acolyte of Alinsky's when she was in high school. Wrote her bachelor's thesis at Wellesley on Alinsky. And Obama taught rules for radicals as a community organizer in Chicago. So, I mean, you know, they're playing the Alinsky playbook. Yeah. Divide and and conquer. Not unite, but divide. And for for the layman
0: listener that's unfamiliar with certain political or societal terms, how would you define
6: elitist? Someone who looks down on people um, who are the bedrock of the country. Um, you know, uh, I, when um, Obama said, you know, these are people who cling to their guns and their Bibles, mm-hmm. you know, um, people who live mostly on the coasts and look, look down on middle America uh, think that we're ignorant, think that we, um, um, if we disagree with them and their utopian and socialist ideas, then, of course... We have to. It has to be racist. It has to be bigotry. It's like um, Martin Castro, the head of the U.S. Civil Rights Commission, who just wrote a uh, a report in which he said religious liberty is will have no uh will have no cachet whatsoever until it quits being a mask for bigotry against homosexuals and transgender people. And um, uh, anyone who's uh, you know that the people have religious convictions about, like, you know. We have a problem with gay marriage. That that has to be bigotry. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just it's it's um, elitists are people who um, largely, and I can say this because I went to Princeton. uh, Largely, people who went to to Ivy League private schools often went to prep schools before that. Um, You know, I thought Donald Trump had an excellent point. You know, if they're so concerned about gun control, then Hillary ought to turn in her 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 security people ought to go unarmed. You know, it's easy for her to say we need to outlaw all the guns she she has had a an armed security detail for 30 years mm-hmm. you know what danger is she in um they live in gated communities often they're wealthy you know uh obama says um that he believes in public schools but his children went to schools that cost $50,000 a year um at least jimmy carter sent his kids to the schools in Washington, she sh- he sent Amy to the public schools in Washington. I don't think he was a very good parent for doing that, but he certainly was not hypocritical. Mm. I remember when Al Gore was nominated for president, his daughter got up and said, my parents believe in public schools, we, we've always believed in public schools. Al Gore never went to a public school, Timber Gore never went to a public school, and none of Gore's kids ever went to a public school, mm. so what did they know about public schools? <laughs> George W. Bush's children went to the public high school in Austin, but not Al Gore's children. The goers are elitists, it's an, and it's, it's really not a socioeconomic thing. It's an attitude thing. I mean, George W. Bush was born into the establishment, but he's not an elitist. He appreciates, and he understands, and he respects the average common folk who pay their taxes, obey the law, serve their country, um, the policemen, the firemen who make this country work. All right, so let's,
0: let's just play off of that for one moment and ask this question.
6: When we read the
0: Gospels, when we, when we read the writings of Paul, obviously there's depth, there's mm-hmm. brilliance, but then there's simplicity of message, and, and God hides the things from the wise, reveals them to, to the little mm-hmm. children, and the, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who perish, and we don't speak by the wisdom of this world. We understand that, but is there any way that we have become so obscurantist in our thinking, so overly simplistic in our thinking, that, that we give the world ample grounds to attack us because many times we're not thinking Christians.
6: Oh, I think that's sometimes true, but I think mostly that's a stereotype mm-hmm. and it's a caricature. For instance, um, I grew up in a denomination that believes that the Bible is the inerrant and infallible word of God. At least most of the people in the in the denomination believe it, Southern Baptist. But when I went to seminary, uh, a Southern Baptist seminary, I found that um, my view of scripture was being caricatured as a di- the dictation theory. Mm. And, um, and I went to speak as a, as a quote, conservative representative at one of our seminaries in a debate. And afterwards, I had some of the students accost me and they said, Well, Dr. Land, you're not really a fundamentalist. I said, and they said, Cause you, you don't believe in the dictation theory. I said, Let me tell you something. I've been going to Southern Baptist churches since I was three years old. I've never met anyone who believes in the dictation theory of inspiration,
0: Me, now, meaning that that, that, God, that, Jesus, dictated, that God dictated every wrote, word. That's right. right. You just wrote down. Like I said scribe. I've heard
6: right. about them from liberals, but I've right. never met one. I've never met one either. I said, you know, the I said liberals. I believe in Petrine theology and, and Johannine theology and Pauline theology. They just don't disagree with each other.
0: Right. So they're each, the light is shining through That's the right. prism.
6: I found, I found it over and over and over again, when we come to the questions about the veracity of scripture or whether Jesus is the son of God or the resurrection or any of these important questions, it is not a question of scholarship and it's not a question of intellect. It's a question of heart mm. and whether or not you're willing to submit your will to God or you want to play your own God and you want to practice what I call Dalmatian theology. The Bible's inspired in spots, and you're inspired to spot the spots. Uh-huh. And isn't it always interesting that the parts that we think are inspired are the parts that we agree with?
0: Yeah, and, and the parts that don't cost us right. much, but point a finger at someone else. right. We come back. I want Eric to talk about the upcoming Apologetics Conference, and, and let's talk about the role of, of Christian intellectualism apologetics in America today. We'll be right back.
1: With your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I'm
0: sitting with Dr. Richard Land, president of Southern Evangelical Seminary, one of the finest apologetic schools in the entire world. I've I've had the privilege of teaching there. I have friends that teach there. I've had grads from our ministry school have gone there, and every single one thrilled with every class and every professor, without fail. And sitting with Eric Gustafson, among other things, he is the director of special events. So, Eric, give our listeners details on the upcoming Apologetics Conference. There's still time for folks to get in.
3: There is, both um, live. It's October 13th through the 15th here in Charlotte at Calvary Church. And it's also um, going to be streamed for the first time ever. Uh, we're going to do live streaming of the main stage. Of the main stage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, 15 Terrific. presentations anywhere in the world. Um, that's uh, $125. And, and one, it's,
0: it's a chock-full program. Oh, it's absolutely it's, packed.
3: Yes, we had somebody, uh, last week I was showing somebody the flyer, and they almost fell over. It, well, it's it like, like drinking list. from a fire hose. Yeah. yeah,
6: really. It takes me three months to listen to all the CDs after the conference is over with, because you can't get to everything. you got three things going on. It's like a three-ring circus. Yeah. Well, it's
3: about 100 presentations. Incredible. Um, every, every year we do that. We do that on purpose, and we also, um, it's accessible for the layperson, without a doubt, but it is something that stretches you. We don't want it to be. We don't ever want to hear somebody say, "You've gone to one or two events of the national conference, then you've heard what you're going to hear." We always want to be able to uh, offer more.
0: Uh, who Who are some of the the speakers?
3: Well, we have, of course, uh, Dr. Lan and our and our co-founder, Dr. Norman Geisler, uh, Gary Habermas, um, our one of our professors, Richard Howe, uh, Josh McDowell, Sean McDowell, Hugh Ross, the astrophysicist, Jay Sekulo. We'll be here for the first time. Mm -hmm. Lee Strobel's back. He hasn't been here in a few years. He's
0: going to be on the air with me to talk about this as well.
3: Yes. We're excited about that. It's been about three or four years since he's been to the conference. Frank Frank Turk. Turk,
6: Jay Warner Wallace, the
3: uh, Uh, cold cold case case. detective guy. And then, um, obviously, several of our SCS professors and uh, graduates. All right. So the dates again. October 13th, 14th, and 15th, with the 13th being for women only. Ah, okay. Thursday night. Right. Thursday, uh, half the day. Half right. the day. And so, then
6: Friday and Saturday is co-ed.
0: And, and where do folks uh, come for, for these conferences? Where do they come from?
3: Uh, we already have 10 countries that have signed up. Typically, mm-hmm. 10 to 15 different countries will come mm-hmm. each year, and uh, north of 40 states represented physically. And then, of course, with the streaming, we're hoping that we open up even more. Tremendous, tremendous.
0: Yeah, yeah and, and I I never get around to maybe 1 50th mm-hmm. of what I planned because I end up talking to this mm-hmm. one and then in over here and then over at this book table. Oh, I'm glad to you know that happens then, to you too
6: because it happens oh, yeah. to me. Going, well, I'll, I'll listen to it on, on on DVD or I'll just watch it. Oh, oh yeah.
0: Yeah, even just walking around, just at the table, I'll start talking to a representative from a ministry, and next thing we're engaged in the resources. So ses.edu Go there to find out
6: more. So We have a lot of homeschoolers whose parents come and bring them. Yeah. Uh, one of my one of my favorite memories of last year's conference is we had one of our professors speaking on the problem of evil, and I looked out on the front row and there was a father with two daughters, maybe fifteen and thirteen, they're all three taking furious notes, you know.
0: Yeah, and you know, let, let's just talk about that for a moment. The importance of quote your average believer, by which I mean someone who's not a specialist in this subject or that mm-hmm. subject. I've specialized in Jewish objections to Jesus. Someone else has specialized in in creation, evolution, evolution issues, some of us philosophy. Okay, but most of us aren't specialized in a particular area and an advanced level. I'm, I'm very poor in science. I can give a great several-minute presentation on why there must be a creator. And the moment you probe me, I have, I, I'm mm-hmm. done <laughs> because I'm, that's not my field. Uh, but I know that there's John Lennox, and I know that there's William Lane Craig, or there's you, Ross, mm-hmm. and that's good enough for me. It, it, that's going to strengthen me just in my daily walk with God and in my mm-hmm. confidence in mm-hmm. being a witness, even if I don't have the answer, say, hey, well, this mm-hmm. website, this guy, this guy, she has the answer. You're absolutely right.
6: Hugh Ross has just got a new book out um, on uh, the, the privileged planet. It's the, prob- the Improbable Planet. The Improbable Planet. planet. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and it's just, but I mean, you, you know it's there, and you know you can go to it, and it's just you know it just hammers the evolutionist. I mean, it takes so much more faith to believe in evolution. Just like John Sanford, the geneticist yeah. who came and spoke last year. He'll be here this year, and, too. And, and he's going to be here this year. And it shows, through research, that uh, genetic entropy, that and if genetic entropy is true, then Darwinian evolution is impossible.
0: Define that for us, second. Well, the, the
6: gene pool is going down. It's like the second law of thermodynamics. It's the law of entropy. The gene pool is, is, is going down, not up. We're not mm-hmm. evolving upward. We're evolving downward. No, there are more stupid people. There are, there are more people who have handicaps and who have uh, challenges physically and mentally. Uh, every generation is going down, not up. Now, if that's true, and his science shows that it is true in the human genome, then you can't evolve the way Darwin said we evolved. Mm. It's not possible. Right, we we'd be going
0: from super genius to Neanderthal. That's right. Back to eight. We're, we're going back the other back way. Back to fish. Back to amoeba. <laughs> which is counter. Well, if every, we all end
6: up amoebas, then we'll know Darwin's right. Well, some people may have already made it, uh, um, but it, it it's it's exactly the opposite of what of what Darwin argued.
0: So even if someone goes to the conference, there and they can't absorb everything, they'll leave encouraged because wow, that guy, he's brilliant. He studied here. He's, and he answered my questions mm-hmm. so if I get hit with more questions I don't have to I'll, I'll look into them yep. but yeah, and don't think about how, the think how
6: important that is to college students. Yes they go, they go through a Christian high school and, and they're not challenged or they go to a public school and they go to a, you go to Duke or they go to UNC Chapel Hill and they get you know atheists and agnostics in class that are challenging their belief in the Bible. It's critically important. That they know there are answers and they know where to go to get answers.
0: Yeah. And I did a debate with Professor Bart Ehrman. Uh, we did it at Ohio State a few years ago. Does the Bible provide mm-hmm. an adequate answer to the problem of suffering? At a packed house, live yeah. it was a great event. Afterwards, an older Christian couple came up to me, probably closer to my mm-hmm. age. And they said, if you had only been here mm. when our daughter was in school, mm. she'd probably still be in the faith. Uh, probably an exaggerated statement. And there no. are obviously other strong Christians around that just didn't know about them. But they were saying if someone who is compassionate mm-hmm. and articulate and educated addressed these issues head on, she wouldn't have gone through the crisis she went through. It is really critical.
6: It is. It is, absolutely. Absolutely and we're not doing an adequate enough job of preparing our our children. That's why we put together we have a dual a dual credit um for uh, three courses four courses um that we to me it's like it's like inoculating them against going to college and being drifted, drift, uh, being attacked and taken away from the faith. The first course is a three hour course on introduction to apologetics with mm. Dr. Norm Geisler. Mm. They can take for high school credit and for elective credit Tremendous. in college. Then we have one on that I do on the ethical issues of the day. Like, you know, what is a human being? Why is abortion wrong? Why is euthanasia wrong? And then I have a third, we have a third one on, um, world religions you know, here's what Buddhism believes, and here's why it's wrong. Here's what Islam believes, and here's why it's Mm -hmm. wrong. And then we have a course on Christian doctrine. What does the Christian faith believe by subject matter? What does the Bible say about the Bible? What does the Bible say about man? What does the Bible say about God? What does the Bible say about sin? What does the Bible say about ultimate destiny? Uh, and, And so we teach a mini course in Christian doctrine and theology. So if they take those those uh, courses in high school. Then when they go off to UNC Chapel Hill, they're at least somewhat inoculated against people like Barn Ehrman.
0: Yeah, and and they're going to have a lot more depth of information to address the talking points. You can find out more. Maybe you're homeschooled. You just heard that scs.edu. That's where you go to find out more and to find out about the Apologetics Conference coming in less than a month.
1: It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH.
0: Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Oh, this, this is good news. This is good news. I went after Princeton University, the alma mater of Dr. Richard Land, who's sitting in studio with me, president of Southern Evangelical Seminary. He's also a graduate of, of Oxford University. And uh, I went after Princeton because they put out guidelines. They wanted to get rid of the word man, you know, man up, man hours and things like that. So instead it would be person. You got a person up. How many person hours was this? So went after them. Uh, yeah, they did. So what about Princeton? let has got Princeton at freshmen. going to have fresh individuals instead. So they have apparently uh, toned things down a little bit. Yeah, but the guide, their new guide, comes with a, a list of terms for phrases to avoid or phrases to avoid such as man and wife, forefathers, I guess four, four people, whatever. Four, four founders. Indiv- yeah, four, found- four individuals. Um, but uh, the whole issue... And I've got a new video if you go to lineoffire.org on gender fluid enters the Oxford English Dictionary. So we've got Oxford and Princeton mm-hmm. covered for you. Dr. Land, this whole fad now on college campus is to have safe spaces where you can go and you won't mm-hmm. be offended. And there won't be microaggressions. It's a microaggression, sir, if I say to you, let's go out and play golf because you might be poor and mm-hmm. you're unable to play golf. Mm-hmm. If I say to a female <laughs> faculty member... That's a beautiful new dress. Ah, oh, now I'm sexist. I'm not recognizing your talents and gifts. Mm-hmm. Southern Evangelical Seminary is—is is that one of these safe spaces?
6: No, we are a decidedly a dangerous place. <laughs> um, in fact, I'm—I'm I'm toying with the idea of starting a new blog, and and I want to uh, my hashtag or my my handle is going to be safe space invader. Uh, we, at SES, we're training safe space invaders. This is what this is what. College education and and graduate education is supposed to be about um, a place where you can discuss openly ideas and you can have debate and intercourse and you can there yeah you, know, you don't go to college to be safe I mean we got too many people that are just coddled and and one of the reasons is they don't have any arguments they they don't know how to argue if they don't have a monopoly on the conversation and the dialogue mm-hmm. they're lost yeah but it's also Dividing us, dividing us and dividing us and dividing us. And this is dangerous in any society, but it's fatal in American society. Why? Because the only thing that we have in common is our common assent to a corpus of ideas that are, that are laid out in the Declaration of Independence. We don't have our ethnicity to put us together. We don't have, in many cases, a shared history to put us together. Two-thirds of Americans can trace their ancestry back through Ellis Island. I, I am a person who can trace mine back to colonial days. I'm a minority. I'm a very mm. small minority. Now. I'm
0: Ellis Island. Grandparents and, from you know, Russia.
6: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, my, my father's family came to Virginia in 1636. My mother's family came to Boston in 1650. Wow. So I'm a wasp, but I'm I'm a minority. Yeah. But, you see, it, it, you know, I, I discovered this when I lived in England. When the English disagree about everything, they have their Englishness to hold them together. Mm-hmm. When the French disagree about everything, they have their Frenchness to hold them together. What is Americanness? If, if you don't have the common uh, allegiance to a set of ideals laid out in the Declaration of Independence, we have nothing to keep us cohered together. And I believe that this, this uh, insane political correctness and this microaggression stuff could lead to the dissolution of our country.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I guess we should give a trigger warning that that what we're going to be saying the rest of the broadcast may not be politically correct. So for I all hope of those, not for all of I us- hope not.
6: I can I can certainly vouch for this end of the table. We're not going to be politically correct. You, you accuse <laughs> me of being politically correct. I'm going to demand an apology. All right.
0: Yeah, that's no. I, I, there's a no. I, I I won't go there. I just uh, a funny incident I was thinking about but too easily too easily misunderstood alright Eric real quick the dates on the apologetics conference
3: October 13th 14th and 15th here in Charlotte North Carolina and the 13th is for women only for
0: women only all right. we'll give you more details on the other side of the break we have some
3: great women apologists
0: tremendous Uh, SES.edu it's an annual event it is a premier event nationally people come literally from around the world especially if you live within an hour or two or three You don't want to miss it.
1: The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH.
0: Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I want to take a few minutes to talk about the role of apologetics, the defense of the faith, Christian, advanced study, intellectualism. Isn't the, the, the Bible enough? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, isn't that enough for me? Why do I need all this intellectual stuff? What do I need to know about creation, evolution, philosophy? Come on. I love Jesus. He loves me. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. What's perhaps lacking in that mindset? Well,
6: first of all, it's a very selfish mindset. Mm -hmm. It might work for you, but all of us are called to be evangelists. Uh, You know, I had a conversation with a rabbi once who he, he said, okay, I understand you believe that you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven. But do you have to say it? (laughs) He said, it's so offensive to us. And I said, look, if the price of respecting your faith is to deny my faith, the price is too high. Mm -hmm. My faith has a great commission in it. So we're all called to go out and to share the gospel and to make disciples and to be salt and light. In order to do that, you have to be conversant with the issues in the culture. You have to be ready to defend the faith. Peter says, be always ready to defend the faith give a reasonable explanation, apologia, for the hope that lies within you, and to do it with a sweet spirit, but mm-hmm. to do it. right? And so, um, you know, uh, I- ignorance is not a spiritual virtue. And, and I would argue that, that if we're going to be in the Lord's will, we're going to know more today than we did yesterday, and we're going to know more um, tomorrow than we did today. There always should be progress forward spiritually and intellectually in the Christian faith.
0: I, I came to faith in a church that, on the one hand, was uh, helped me to really get grounded in, in loving the Lord and being a person of the Word and a person of prayer mm-hmm. and, and, and a soul winner and all of that. On the other hand, it was extremely narrow in its thinking. And a favorite verse of some of the folks when it came to ministry was Acts 4.13 in the King James, that the apostles were ignorant and unlearned men. The Sanhedrin noticed mm-hmm. they were ignorant and unlearned men, and if it was good enough for them, mm-hmm. it's good enough for us. So So somehow ignorance becomes a virtue. Mm-hmm.
6: Well, my response to that would be that, um, the apostle Paul was an apostle born out of due time, and he was many things, but ignorant and, and non-intellectual. He wasn't. He was one of the most impressive intellectuals of the, of the first century. He was equally conversant in three worlds. In the Greek thought world, being raised in Tarsus, he was a Pharisee. You know that Pharisees were not unlearned men. And, and he was a star Pharisee. He was like the star pupil of Gamaliel. And, um, he was a Roman citizen. So he was conversant in the Roman world as well. And, and he, he made allusions to classical Greek poetry in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was anything but an unlearned man. And the apostle John, um, who was raised in Galilee, which was sort of Hicksville. I mean, it'd be like Appalachia. And, right, I mean, right. you know, they, they were made fun of for their accent, etc. But by the end of his life in the last decade of the first century, he has absorbed Greek philosophy and the Greek worldview, which was certainly not his native worldview, to the place where he could write the prologue to the Gospel of John under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, and he could say, you people have this philosophy that says that, that there's a perfect chair out there just beyond our ability to grasp it, and that perfect chair, of which all other chairs are imperfect representations, is called the, is in the logos. He said, you're right. There is a logos. It's the perfect reality. It's just beyond your reality, and it's Jesus Christ. Mm. So he took Greek philosophy, completely reformulated it, and presented the gospel in terms that Greeks could understand. Um, that's a pretty heady intellectual exercise for a Galilean fisherman.
0: Yeah, and then you have a Daniel who excelled right. in, in learning Babylonian literature and things like and that. And Moses.
6: Moses was an extremely educated man. Um, you know, So you can be educated and spiritual. Absolutely. It's more difficult. It's more <laughs> difficult. And the reason is, is that since we're fallen as sinful men and women... Um, People who are bright, people who have facility with uh, academic things, uh, have the great temptation to worship their own minds.
0: Yeah, knowledge puffs up.
6: And, and to become um, more impressed with their own minds than they ought to be. You know, my mother always taught me, any gift you have, Richard, is a gift from God. It's God's gift, and you're to use it for his purposes.
3: Yes. And if you say you love somebody, I challenge anyone to say that they're in love with someone that they know nothing about. You would be on a date with your, your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend, and every time they try to open their mouth to tell you something about themselves, you tell them to just be quiet. All I want to do is love you. You know, Learning about God is called theology. And yeah. so you do need to learn more about this God you love. But,
6: you know, it's, it, I go back to what I said before. It's not, it, I found that most of the time when you cut through all the stuff, people who refuse to believe the Bible, it's not an intellectual problem it's not a, it's not a conceptual problem it's not a cognitive problem it's a will problem Yes. it's a will problem you know it's like it was it Kingsley Amos who said uh, i don't believe in god and i hate him yes <laughs> you know, that, that's what it says at all yeah i don't believe in god but i hate him
0: yeah the, uh, and some of the new atheists that's where it's been characterized yeah. there is yeah. no god uh, but i hate him i want to get close enough to him to slap him in the face but i don't <laughs> believe he's there I remember in, in college taking a biblical archaeology class at a secular college, and there was another student, a zealous Christian, so we were witnessing to the professor, a woman, and she looked at us and said, I'm not yet ready to get off the throne of my heart. Mm-hmm. We thought, okay, at least she understands. Yeah. At least she understands. Absolutely.
6: I mean, you know, that's, I mean, one of the things, I mean, I talked to Carl Henry about this when he was still alive, and he said, oh, he said, you're so right. He said, my whole life, he said, people assume." That this is a question of cognition. It's not. It's a question of volition.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, even when it comes to the Bible's enough, which of course, ultimately, if there's only one book you could read, you can read the Bible, period. We understand that. But you and I and, and Eric, we we've we've studied scripture for, for, for decades. And and on the one hand, it's simple, it speaks to us. We get alone with God, take out the word in time of need, time of loss, and God's word speaks to us. But when you read through the whole Bible, there are a lot of questions that come up and a lot of issues that come up. And if you're going to turn your mind off, you're not going to Mm understand what God communicated. That's right. Mm -hmm. So at this apologetics conference, again, October 13th through 15th, a Southern Evangelical Seminary. Go to ses.edu. and it, it's for everything you get. It's a super low price. I don't know how you manage to bring all the speakers in, honestly. Well,
6: uh, uh, <laughs> we, you know, we 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 uh, donations help to subsidize it. We try to keep it affordable so people can come, so it's pretty affordable. But you know, it's um, it's a challenge.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, but the roster is always there. People coming from around the country, mm-hmm. locally. Uh, the 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 thirteenth for women only. Let mm-hmm. let's talk about that because. Often, you might think of equipping women, uh, dealing with issues in the home and marriage and family, and but female apologists, well, women need to be apologists just as much as men. They live in this world as well. So, Eric, what's going to happen on the 13th?
3: Well, this was born out of, um, for years, we've been doing women apologetics conferences sort of on their own, mm-hmm. and it dealt with a lot of those issues. It's, it's twofold. There's women doing apologetics, just standard classical apologetics, and then there's apologetics to women are about gender issues so what Ah. is femininity what is masculinity what about gender roles and so defending traditional values along those lines so it's a little bit of all of that and a couple years or a couple months ago if you remember uh christianity today did a a cover story on women in apologetics and, um, that sort of gave us the, uh, the idea of merging it into the mat- national conference. It's, it's reached its, its prime. We've been doing it for years. It looks like it's, it's ready for prime time. So we're making it the first day of the apologetics conference and it features our, one of the women in that, um, article actually is one of our PhD students and, uh, she'll be there. Of course, all of our, uh, existing students and graduates who have been there for years, um, talking on all these issues.
6: And, you know, it's, um, first of all, uh, women are different than men. Well, that's, a sex,
0: that's a sexist, racist, well, <laughs> biased, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic
6: statement. And- and it also happens to be true. <laughs> yeah. um, men and women, you know, there's scientific evidence. Look, the scientific evidence that men and women are different is overwhelming. And, and, As is and, the anecdotal they, evidence. They deny it. They deny it um, by being, they're bigoted against science. Uh, my most famous classmate so far, and I guess nobody's going to overtake him in the few years we have left, was John Stossel. And John, you know, used to be very liberal, very liberal. Now he's a he's a libertarian, and um, he said what got him started was he said, you know, I started reporting on the differences between men and women. He said, you know, I, my wife and I bought into all this stuff, and we wouldn't let uh, our sons play with with warlike toys. And we came home from the supermarket, and they were they were sword fighting with cucumbers. Uh-huh. And he said, this is a crock. This is a whole whole thing's a crock. And he had a couple of radical feminists say, you shouldn't report on the differences, even if they're true. You shouldn't report on them. And and so, you know, we, we have brain scans right. that show that if you give men and women the same problem, they'll both solve it. But they'll solve it with different portions of their brain That that men and women, that women tend to use both sides of their brain simultaneously and that men use the left side of their brain and the right side of their brain sequentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, the evidence is right there. And so, you know, the women women are going to have a different perspective than, than men, uh, one that we need to hear, one that's going to give us insight that we don't have otherwise. And they're certainly going to be able to reach women um, in, to a level that we're not going to be able to. And then you have the cultural issue. Um, the uh, Southern Baptist Convention did a study about 20 years ago that found that about a third of unreached American women had been so lied to and abused and taken advantage of by men, that they wouldn't believe anything a man said. Wow. So if they're going to be reached for the gospel, it's going to be a woman that's going to reach them. Extraordinary.
0: We'll be right back with Dr. Richard Land and Eric Christensen from Southern Evangelical Seminary. Friends, go to scs.edu. Still time to sign up for next month's Apologetics Conference, October 13th to 15th. 13th, Women Only.
1: It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael
0: Brown. One of the great joys of my life since 1982 has been teaching, training students. Some of them have been older than me, most of them younger than me, especially the older I get. Well, that happens, yeah, as yeah. you get older. They get, they get younger, or they stay the same as coming in as new students, but... As you watch over the years, generations of, of grads going out, planting churches, teaching at schools, raising families, going into all facets of the world and making a difference, it's it's an extraordinarily gratifying thing. And uh, I'm blessed to be an adjunct professor at Southern Evangelical Seminary right in the greater Charlotte, North Carolina area. And you're not going to find a fine or apologetic school anywhere. And what I find, sitting with Dr. Richard Land and with Eric Gustafson from from SES, what I find is is that... People really get challenged. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, the, the folks I know that have gone to the classes, they get stretched. When I've taught classes, folks are there to be stretched. Serious, serious workload to throw themselves in. But they, they all have enjoyed mm-hmm. the process. They seem to grow and mm-hmm. thrive and come out stronger, clearer-headed, and, and more productive in the kingdom. So, Dr. Land, if someone says, okay, look, I, you don't understand. I can't uproot my family. I'm already doing ministry here, I, and I, I don't live near Charlotte any, anyway. What can they do?
6: They can get degrees from us. They can get they can finish a bachelor's degree. They can get a master's degree. They can get a doctorate, either a DMN or a Ph.D., almost completely online. My son-in-law just finished a Master of Arts in Apologetics, which is a two-year degree. He finished it in three years. Working full time at a bank in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, during the day, streaming the classes at night. He he didn't come on campus to take a class until the day he graduated. Now he's going into the PhD program, really, um, and he'll have to come on campus like way, once a year for a week for the PhD program. And um, most the, the where we're different than a lot of schools is that. Of our students who are taking courses online, uh, over half of them are streaming the classes live. Which means my son-in-law, for instance, would sit in his den, turn on his computer, and um, Dr. Geisler would come right into his den on online, and he could ask Dr. Geister questions. And I've done classes and he could, like that. And, and he, could hear, and, asking, and he yeah. could hear the other students. The yep, only yep. thing that they that they can't is they can't see him, which is probably good because he was in cutoffs and, <laughs> and flip-flops most of the time. Um, but you know, it's 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 interactive. And um, we can go – we have students from uh, nine countries around the world right now Mm -hmm. that are taking classes, um, streaming them live. Uh, You know, it really is – I think the way we're going to fulfill the Great Commission is is through the Internet uh, before it's all said and done. It's really revolutionizing education and – we we have our average student is 35 years old in our in our programs and our average student in our lay institute which is a non-degree program for people who just want to learn more about apologetics is is about 45 and some of them get the bug they start taking classes for non you know, for lay institute credit and they say you know I think I want to I want to do a degree in this and we can convert it for them um so i, I would encourage people to go to ses.edu we keep it cheap I mean, we really sacrifice to keep it cheap. A bachelor's course, a course, is seven hundred and fifteen dollars, not per hour. Seven hundred and fifteen dollars for a three-hour course for the master's degree. And that's it's what's a, over sixteen, seventeen weeks. Yeah, yeah. And, and for a master, for a master's, it's a thousand dollars a course, not mm-hmm. per hour, but a course for three hours. So it's like three hundred and thirty-three dollars. An hour. And then the, the, uh, PH, the DMN is, uh, $1,250, which, so, I mean, it's dirt cheap. I mean, yeah. we, we, we subsidize it to keep it, um, so that anyone who wants to do it can do it. You know, I get letters, I get emails and stuff that are really heartwarming. One guy, he, he, he had a family farm. He, he, he could not leave the farm. He had a ministry, but his parents were elderly. He could not leave the farm. And we were able to get them, the program to him and he got his master's degree. Completely from his farmhouse. Really, tremendous.
0: And and Eric, uh, let's say someone is really interested in the apologetics conference, but they think, okay, uh, and you get people. You said from 40 states, 10 countries registered already. May get all 50 states one of these days. But let's say they're thinking, okay, I've got to fly there. I got a hotel boy, I don't know I can afford it. Can they live stream the conference?
3: Yeah, that's that's why we did that this year because you add it all up, it's hundreds of dollars to come into town with the flight and all that. $125, you get to stream all of the uh, main session courses on the stage. So every hour you have a different speaker, Jay Warner Wallace, uh, Dr. Land, Richard Howe, um, you know, right down the line.
6: Norm Geister, Jay Seculo.
3: That's the obviously the main stage is where we put the the, the more well known um, speakers. You would be on the main stage, um, so it's a lot cheaper to stream it. And we know that we have one or two people coming from South Africa. There's one or two hundred that would like to come but can't. Got it. And so that's that's the person we're trying to reach.
6: All
0: right, we've just got two minutes, Jay Seculo. What's he
6: going to be doing? Well, Jay is going to be talking about uh, the state of religious freedom and, and religious liberty, and what's at stake, you know, in in this it's election.
0: Mildly important issue. Yeah, it? I mean, you know, <laughs> and of course,
6: you know, Jay. You know, he's, um, you know, I've never met a completed Jew who wasn't a tiger for Jesus, uh-huh. and Jay's one of them. I mean, you know, he's a uh, great conversion story. He got saved at a Baptist student union at a liberal Baptist school. I said, you know, it's almost enough to make me a Calvinist, and he went home and he woke his dad up. And he said, "Dad, I got to talk to you." So he said, "Meet me in the kitchen." So he said, "Okay." So he said, "What happened?" He said, "Well, I've decided Jesus is the Messiah." His father said, "You've decided? <laughs> said, Don't tell your mother." <laughs> but the J is, you know, he's right on the cutting edge. Of, of religious freedom cases and the challenges to religious freedom um, and the attempt to weaponize our own government against us. Mm. And um, he's going to be doing that, and I'm going to be doing something brand new. I'm going to do an open forum where people can write down questions and submit them in advance, and and then I'm going to take some from the floor. Anything they want to ask, I'll try to answer it.
0: Wonderful. All right, so friends, go to ses.edu to find out more. And, and Dr. Land, very quickly, In the last half hour, you mentioned uh, four courses that you have Mm -hmm. now that, that say, a high school student Mm -hmm. to take Mm -hmm. before going to college. Maybe they're... Dual credit.
6: Yeah, they can take it for high school credit and then for elective credit in college. Okay. And this will help
0: ground them, Mm -hmm. inoculate them against some of the challenges they're going to get so that they're Mm -hmm. they're not going to be easily picked off because they get hit with the objection. Uh, First, I heard that already. Mm -hmm. And second, here's the response. And most times when we give a response, people don't have a response to the response. It's a great idea, great, so necessary, and your average parent, a homeschool educator, private Christian school, they're not going to be able to offer something mm-hmm. like this. Kids in public school, they're not going to get it. Your average local church mm-hmm. is not going to have it. So where do they look when they go to ses.edu? Where do they look?
3: Uh, we're about to relaunch the website, but the current website, there's a banner at the top, a big graphic banner, of course, starts out with the conference, mm-hmm. but it scrolls through and you'll see uh, the dual enrollment uh, come up on there,
6: and if it, if they have trouble, just email us and say, you wow. know, um, tell us how we can find the dual enrollment program. All right, so so, and it can be used by public school students and private school students, right, and and, then, and homeschoolers,
0: and for all those you're thinking, wow, my kid just started college. Hey, not too late to get them into this, mm-hmm. or or when they have a mm-hmm. break to say, hey, we've got these classes. Let's let's look at them together as as a family, and uh, as always, uh, this is going to be a great great event. So necessary every day that goes mm-hmm. by. Oh. You have what people need. Are you going to deal with Islam at all?
3: Oh, always. Yeah, there's there's three, four, or five presentations every year on comparing Islam with Christianity, or uh, right down the line. And you got
0: science issues. You're going to be dealing always. With...
3: Yes, in fact, I'll be giving a talk on young Earth, old Earth, um, ah. which is always a fun topic.
6: And 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 by the way, um, this is a safe place where you can talk about this without having your faith questioned, because we say our rule is you can be young earth or old earth you just can't attack the other one for not believing the bible
0: so it won't be safe in that you'll be challenged but it's safe in the faith right s-e-s-e-d-u to find out more my bottom line today god calls us to love him with heart soul mind and strength it all goes hand in hand